0: Jcast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Marthame Sanders. On this episode, part two of our conversation with Tracy Woodard. Tracy is a musician, composer, activist, and she and I got a chance to sit down in the AIJ cast studios. That is a huge part of what you do professionally and personally in terms of advocacy for and with and activism on behalf of folk who are experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. Let's shift gears there if that's a natural place to shift gears mm-hmm. and talk about that work. Mm-hmm. So there are several hats that you wear in that regard. You are the president of Madhousers, mm-hmm. you are a team leader with in town collaborative ministries. Mm-hmm. How did you get involved in this work?
1: When I was 16, I dated a drug addict Mm. and he was always running away from home. Mm. And his mom and I once had a conversation during one of the periods where he would like catch a train and like run off to Louisiana and busk Mm. until he would get tired of it and come home. And he did this over and over again. And Mm. she said to me, I'm really mad at him, Mm -hmm. but he can always come home
2: Mm. and
1: he's fine now. You know, he... Sobered up, went to school, got a job, got married. I mean, he's fine now. Wow. But that moment where she was like, "The door is always open. He can always come home." And then I started volunteering with a needle exchange when I was 18 because I was I was very comfortable working with uh, drug addicts, and mm. I realized it's like, oh, he was so lucky. Mm. I mean, most kids, if they had run away over and over and over again a lot of parents would have just cut them off. Right. And I realized how important it was to give people multiple chances if they're you know, if they sure. screwing up. It's sure. just like, yep, they're just, at some point, they're going to change their mind, and mm. they're going to want help, and you just need to be available. Mm. And so I was with the Atlanta Harm Reduction when I was 18 as a volunteer, and uh, this was the time where I was um, hanging out with uh, now my husband, Nick Hess, mm. and he introduced me to the Mad Housers, which at the time was a much smaller organization. And uh, he took me into the woods. And my first experience with Matt was was he says, hey, let's go in the woods and I'll show you one of these little wooden shelters. And the first time he took me there, we found the smoking crater. And he didn't know this, but apparently the guy had, I don't know if he'd fallen asleep with a cigarette uh, or something, but he wow. actually sat down on fire. And that guy turned out, he was okay. Wow. But in that moment, my husband suddenly thought, Oh no, he's dead, and right. fell to his knees. Yeah, and I just sort of put my hand on top of his head to sort of comfort mm-hmm, him. Mm-hmm. And I realized at this moment, it's like this guy is so nice. Mm-hmm. And then, like soon after that, we started dating, and then we wow. got married. But I just that so you know, you know, I sort of married into the organization. <laughs> but that moment was also very definitive for me, as far as. A, what it was like to, it's like, oh, you can just go into the woods and build a shelter for somebody. Hmm. And this is fine. And, you know, we've been doing that ever since. Um, wow. You should just, just go build a thing. Wow. But that was that. And I've been doing that ever since. And of course, once you work with one outreach agency, you become friends with all the others because yeah. they're all super small and work in windowless basements. Um, <laughs> and then a couple of years ago, a bunch of us in the community lost a dear friend of ours. There was a man named Mark Gilbert. And mm-hmm. when he passed away, we were all super messed up about it. Mm-hmm. And right after he died, I saw an ad for an outreach employee for Gateway Center, which is a big organization here in mm-hmm. Atlanta. And I was talking over with my friend Grace Kim, who's also mm-hmm. an, a, a diatron.
0: Past uh, a guest of AIJCast. Right.
1: Yeah. And I was talking to Grace because... She was like, I know you're messed up. We're getting coffee and we're going to have girl talk. I'm Mm. like, yeah, let's do that. So we're having girl talk. And I'm just like talking and she's just listening and nodding. And I'm just like so messed up. And I started saying, it's like, yeah, I saw this ad. Because she used to be a social worker. I saw this ad at Gateway. I don't know if I should take it. And she says, I've got a better job for you. Mm. And she told me about this job at InTown because she's friends with uh, Franco who's a social worker there, Mm -hmm. and she says, you should try for this job. I'm Mm -hmm. like, I don't have a degree in social work. She's like, I don't think that matters at this point, Mm -hmm. because I've been doing homeless work for 20 years at this point. And so I interviewed at the job, and it was funny, because one of the questions at the job interview was, you're working with a homeless client who keeps getting threatened with eviction because they're shooting up heroin in the apartment. What do you tell them To keep them from getting evicted and the first thing that popped out of my mouth was well i would tell them that if they're going to shoot up heroin they should do it in a public restroom because at least then if you pass out from the drugs somebody will find your body before you before you stop breathing and then i suddenly realized was that the wrong thing like nope Because it's all about harm reduction, sure. and because one of the reasons why a lot of people die of drug overdoses is they are so afraid of getting found that they take drugs somewhere really remote mm. and then something goes wrong and nobody finds them until it's too late. Yeah, and so DNA I, I and tell gone. my clients all the time, it's like, look, if you're going to do drugs, make sure people can find you. Wow. And this, so they hired me, um, <laughs> you know, and it's a great job and I love it. I love this job.
0: That seems like a very different strategy from just say no.
1: Oh yeah, no, you can't you can't tell drug addicts to stop doing drugs. That's no. like telling your five year old on Halloween, you can only have one Kit Kat. Yeah. You know, because like crack, crack hits the same part of your brain that really likes sugar. Yeah. You know? And if you're also dealing with depression or chronic pain mm-hmm. and all you want to do is disconnect from your body, of course you're gonna do drugs. Yeah. Or you're gonna want to because you just want the pain to stop.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Of course. The data I've heard around heroin and cigarettes is kind of that same immediate gratification kind of rush that mm-hmm. makes it so difficult, nigh impossible to quit. Yeah. And so just saying no doesn't really deal with all of the underlying issues that cause drug addiction in the first place and perpetuate it
1: right it's like well you know going back to candy it's like why can't you lose those last five pounds because Mm -hmm. somebody left a kit kat in the Mm -hmm. freezer and it's just like oh it's just it's just one little tiny yeah exactly it's that same part of your brain
0: connect the dots for me between all these different things we talked about music we talked about homeless work and faith yeah how do those all connect for you or do they
1: they can I think the answer to all of these is be willing to say yes to everything, Hmm. knowing you're going to fail some of the time. Hmm. So for example, with music projects, I say yes to just about any new music project, whether or not it actually goes through, Mm -hmm. just because I know for every five ensembles or composers or other musicians who come to me and say, hey, we should put on a show, Mm -hmm. we should write some music. Two will actually result in an Mm. actual performance just because like something gets canceled or the money dries up or other, it just falls through. Mm -hmm. But you always say yes initially because it might, it might happen. Mm. A same thing with religion. It's you have to approach life with a certain fearlessness. Mm. Um, One of the things that uh, one of the women in my old church used to tell me is fear is another form of pride. Hm. because fear is a uh, fear of man is a uh, fear that like you're going to get rejected hmm. or that somebody's not going to like you or you're not good enough hmm. and so if you think of fear as pride that sort of makes a lot of it go away as far as like oh i'm how much of this is about me? Sure.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: and then of course, with homelessness, I'm actually really bad about this. If somebody comes to me and says, I need help, I'm really bad at saying no. Mm-hmm. Um, because some people, you can help them once, and that's all it takes. Right. Like the number of people that I have met on the street, and all it took was me calling their parents. And their parents says, oh, we've been looking for them. And wow. then they show up and take them home. Wow. Or all they needed was a bus ticket. Yeah. Or all they needed was a week in a hotel so they could, like, get their act together. Yeah. And obviously that doesn't happen every time. Sure. There's some people. Sure. And they're going to need help for years. Yeah. But it's that you take that chance yeah. of, oh, sometimes they just need one person to say yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So because of that, it's always like, just say yes, just say yes, wow, wow. because you don't know what direction it's going to go in.
0: Tracy Woodard on AIJCast. We'll be back with more of our conversation in just a moment. But first, a quick word. As always, we encourage you to visit the AIJCast website, AIJCast.com, which is where you'll find links to our artists, including their news, information, and products. Among the things you'll find there are links to Tracy's many projects, including Mad Housers, In-Town Collaborative Ministries, and the Atlanta Contemporary Ensemble. And that is all there, along with so much, much, much more at AIJCast.com. And now, back to more of our conversation with Tracy Woodard. But first, let's listen to one of Tracy's original compositions. This piece is entitled, The Mountain.
2: A woman died upstairs
0: talked about that boyfriend of yours who always had the chance to come home
2: mm-hmm.
0: and i mean that might reminds me of a parable or two <laughs> <laughs> right and also the awareness like you talk about folk where it's not as simple where it's uh, they don't have a family that is putting up with their shenanigans or a family that has driven them out and they're actually doing the healthy thing getting out of that family mm-hmm. Or I also think about the number of people whose families have been told they're no longer welcome because of an identity issue, particularly sure. around sexuality, Sure. right? And how that message of you are always welcome to come home
2: mm-hmm.
0: when their family isn't giving them that message. Right. It's about someone else giving them that message and what that looks like. Right. And I'm wondering if that has a way of tying into the work with Mad Housers where you talk about you're going into the woods, you're building these houses Mm -hmm. for people who are experiencing homelessness because Mm -hmm. if what they're missing is a roof over their heads, that excuse is gone. Mm -hmm. There's a home. Right. But they can still be alone.
1: The clients who stay in Mad Houser shelters Mm -hmm. tend to be a particular slice of the homeless spectrum. Okay. These tend to be older men Mm. who are very independent. Mm. And they want to be in the woods because they want to be somewhere quiet. Mm. They don't want to be in a shelter. They don't want to be in a group home. They don't want to be with their family. And that's a personality where it's like, I need to be somewhere where when I wake up, there's nobody around me. Mm. Right. And that could be some combination of depression or post-traumatic stress disorder. And some of those guys, you know, I have been able to transition them into housing because they've decided I can't stay here forever. But You know, there are some guys, and once they're in a hut, they have decided, it's like, you know what, this is all I needed. All I needed was a base of operations Mm -hmm. where I can sleep, I can lock up my stuff, I can have my little vegetable garden, maybe Mm. I have a cat. Mm. And beyond that, I can be self-sufficient. It's like, great, okay, you do you. For some people, it is more of a transitional shelter. Sure. Um, because they had been under a bridge or in a car hmm. and they were out of their minds because they weren't sleeping and they were always scared all right. the time. And so this allowed them to stabilize. And then once they were stable, they were less scrambled. Then they were like, okay, now that I've actually had a good night's sleep, let's talk about housing. I'm like, great. I, that's,
0: I mean, you're talking about something that's very basic and very real, which is sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. And you, Go crazy. Mm-hmm. And I mean that quite literally. You mm-hmm. go crazy when you don't have enough sleep. Absolutely. And especially, I mean, I think about places like Atlanta where homelessness has been outlawed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You can't sleep in public spaces, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to uh, panhandle. All mm-hmm. these things that are necessary to survive mm-hmm. for folk who are experiencing homelessness have been mm-hmm. made illegal. So you're going, you're, then you're in a, in a shelter where the best shelters, you might be able to get a good night's sleep. Mm-hmm. Most of them are overcrowded and you are not going to get a good night's sleep.
1: Yeah. And the shelters are definitely so necessary. Sure. um, You know, because you need to go someplace, sometimes just having someplace with four walls and a door Mm -hmm. is so necessary. Mm -hmm. And some of these shelters come with a lot of secondary services, you know, they come with hot showers or clothing closet or just a hot sandwich, Mm
2: -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. which
1: people need Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Sure. Oftentimes going into a shelter, the most important aspect is your admission that you need something outside of yourself, that you need services and you need some level of expertise that you're not going to be able to do on your own, even like basic stuff, like if you don't have a phone or access to a computer, it's like, I need to go into a building with a fax machine so that I can like work on my food stamps mm-hmm. or Medicaid or mm-hmm. something else like that. Mm-hmm. And just like having that office setting. I'm
0: curious about Mad And if you can't tell me, that's fine, too. Uh, how does it work when you go into the forest? I mean, you're not going into we have strict property laws in the United mm-hmm. States. Sure. How does that work?
1: So Atlanta has a lot of undeveloped green space. Sure. You know, we're not concrete jungle like New York or Chicago. Yeah. And uh, pretty mild winters.
2: Yeah.
1: And, you know, just having a lot of forest where you have these homeless encampments. And these are small homeless encampments. These are like one, two, maybe five guys. They've been there for a while. Cops know they're there, the neighbors know they're there, but because they're behind the tree line and they keep to themselves, and maybe they're like under the power lines where developers aren't really interested in building there anyway, people are like, yeah, that's Joe and his buddies. They they mop the floor of the gas station and then Mm -hmm. they have a beer and they fall asleep and nobody cares. So those are the guys that we tend to work with. And again, because they have a pre-existing relationship with the neighborhood and with local law enforcement and their they're known quantity, known quantity yeah. yeah, we just go in and we build. And as a case manager within town, I will then go and offer other services mm. and maintain that relationship where mm. it's like, and some of them want housing and we can work on housing. Other guys are like, well, I don't need housing, but I would like to work on food stamps or health insurance or, mm. or get a clean pair of shoes and we can work on that. But having those relationships are really vital because someday something's going to go wrong. Right. Somebody's going to have a heart attack. Right. Uh, somebody has, is going to decide they want to reunite with their family right. and you need to be there for them mm-hmm. when something happens in their life.
0: Wow. Tracy, if you had a, piece of advice for our listeners or a word of wisdom maybe it's a well you return to again and again or it's something that our conversation has sparked what would it be
1: so one of the things that people ask a lot now okay so during the pandemic a lot of people have started staying home more often than not Mm -hmm. because they have decided i can work from home forever sure i can just do a lot of things. And people have been working on their homes. People have been remodeling their Mm -hmm. homes and doing their vegetable gardens, Mm -hmm. which is great, but it means they're paying more close attention to their neighbors and their neighborhoods, which means I've been getting a lot of angry phone calls from people who've suddenly started to notice Mm. the homeless folks in their neighborhoods. Wow. And they said, well, what can we do about it? And I said, well, do you know the homeless person's name? And they're like, well, no. Isn't that your job? And I'm like, well, you can ask them their name. You know, you can bring a bottle of water or a sandwich and just yeah. go to them and ask them their name. Start talking to them because they're your neighbor, too. They're just experiencing homelessness. That is not necessarily a permanent arrangement. And so that is something I really wish more people in Atlanta would do. You know, we're such a car centric city and people, I think, have really battened down the hatches more because of the pandemic. People didn't want to talk to homeless before, and now they're like, there's a plague. It's like, wear a mask. Come on. You can wear a mask and give somebody a bottle of water and ask them their name for heaven's sakes. So that's me and my mommy voice going, me, 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 <laughs> me. So that is what I would tell people.
0: Tracy Wittard, thanks for being on AIJCast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Tracy Wittard on AIJCast. You can connect with Tracy online through several different platforms, including Atlanta Contemporary Ensemble. ATLCE.org, Intown Collaborative Ministry, IntownCM.org, and the Madhousers at madhousers.org. On our next episode, founder of Do Better Church, Joe Lumen. AIJCast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. We can only do this work because of you, so please do. Take just a moment. Go to our website, AIJCast.com, and click on the link that says Support. And we love to interact with you on social media. We are there on all the things where our handle is AIJCast. Our theme music comes from our house band, Mard Fame, And we are engineered, mixed, and produced by the always trippy Al Mudif who claims to know what feature it was that made Frank Lloyd Wright's designs so unique. Windowless basements. And I'm your host, Marthame Sanders, encouraging you to create some beauty of your own. And remember that the world isn't truly beautiful until it's beautiful for all. Until next time, I leave you with justice and
2: peace.